from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. The Gospel of the Lord. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Um, my, my wife told me about a dream she had last night. This is not part of the sermon. This is just me talking to fill empty space. Um, at the end of it, you all gave me a standing ovation at the end of the sermon. And, and she was like, Sam, at first I was like, wait, good job, but that's really bad. <laughs> and she's right. So as much as I would love a standing ovation, please, um, no. Anyway, uh, you ever have one of those, one of those gut-wrenching realizations about yourself? A circumstance happens, and you discover the type of guy you really are. I had one of these in a light way. Um, my wife and I, we wanted to go to the highest place in Missouri, which is, which is not that high. But, it, it, you know, it's there. And we were going to go on this hike and hopefully see some overlooks. And as we pulled into the parking lot, there were yellow signs everywhere. And these signs read, bears, bear mating season. Bears everywhere. Bears, stay away. Bears, bears, don't play with them. Don't feed them. Stay away from the bears. And I was like, okay, wow, bears, right? And so we started this hike, and the only thing Kellen and I are thinking about on this hike is bears, right? <laughs> every rustle, every snort, there's bears everywhere. Well, we ended up thinking that we heard one, and um, Kellen looked at me, and I looked at her, and she gave me a look of absolute terror, and I gave her a look of, let's get out of here, and we just started bolting, right? And... <laughs> As we were running, I have got longer legs than my wife, and to my shame, I outran her. So yeah, you're looking at the guy who doesn't just stand there and defends his wife. He runs from fake bears. Anyway, she said, Sam, wait. And that was one of those moments where I just had this disgusting, ugh, yeah, Sam, you coward. Look at you running, and your wife is going to get eaten by the fake bear. You know? Like, and, and that was just one of those nasty realizations, and this one is... This is another one that I had that's a little bit more to the point. I was sitting um, back there, uh, back there where Mark Schistler is, and um, Greg was preaching. And he said this, and it just, it brought something out of me that I was not happy with. He said, in one of those moments where Greg gets really excited because he's going to say something great, he said, you don't need your work to validate you anymore. You have all the validation you need in Christ. Right? That's a good word, friends. But as soon as he said that, instead of feeling freedom and joy, I got angry. 
I got angry. I said in my own heart, that's great, God, thanks. But I really want them to like me. The Bible calls this the fear of man as opposed to the fear of God, right? And that was the moment, not the only moment, it was the moment that I was reminded that I'm still a people pleaser. Christ can validate me all he wants, but, oh, help me if Doug Mendes doesn't too, you know? Um, Tim Keller, he often makes brilliant quotes, and this is one about... uh, people-pleasing, he says, it's a situation in which your desire for man's blessing amounts to adoration and worship, and in which you give some form of human approval the rights and power over your heart that only God should have. It means you'll be as devastated by the loss of man's approval as if you felt criticized or condemned by God himself. We worship men. And that's your pastor, you know? I care much more about what you all are going to think about this sermon than what Christ wants this sermon to do in your heart. And that's the challenge of being me. And this, this opens its way and it's opened its, its ugly head in so many ways. One of them, a people pleaser, is constantly um, a chameleon, Right? If you're cool and I want you to like me, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be one way around you. Maybe I'll try the best to be athletic or I'll try to be funny or I'll try to be witty or um, I'll try to be crass and say edgy things that I know you're going to appreciate. Right? And that's around one group. And then around the other group, I'm going to be a very different person. And so my biggest nightmare, guys, is when those two groups come together. It's not an identity crisis. It's that feeling of getting caught red-handed you know, like, oh, now you both are going to know how fake I am. And I don't really care about how you guys are interacting. I just am afraid about how I'm going to interact and I want out, right? I may, uh, I heard this, this is brilliant. This is from Zach S. Wine. Zach S. Wine. He said um, he's a round-heeled salesman, right? He doesn't plant his heels anywhere. He just spins. He's just constantly spinning, right? Say one thing to you, say another thing to you. Right? Man, I can't tell you how many conversations I've walked away from where it's like, man, Sam, what they needed was the truth, and what you gave them was exactly what they wanted to hear. And you know that. Ugh. It's not fun for me to, I mean, I practice this over and over and over again, but it's not fun for me to do this in front of you all because there's a sense in which now you know that if I give you a oh, I'm so sorry that was so hard that I'm actually thinking, wow, you're a piece of... (laughs) You know what I mean? And that's... uh. But this is what I do. And I'm bearing this open for you because I think this passage in Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 24, I think it has something to say about my state and your state. Now, you may not be a maniac of a people pleaser like I am. Like, I'm insane. Right, I, I, I will be on the phone with a telemarketer for 20 minutes. Kellen can attest. Um, and you may not do that. But I know, because I know of this broken world, that there's somebody who demands more of your respect than he should. There's someone whose eye you are looking to catch. 
There's someone whose respect you care more about. There's someone whose opinion about you haunts you and you want that person, whoever it is, maybe it's just one person, maybe it's a bunch of people like me, to like you. So what is the hope for a people pleaser like us? A group of people pleasers, or a church of people pleasers. And I think Galatians has a lot to say about that. Um, let me, let's read the passage. It's on page 1810, <laughs> 1810 in your pew Bibles. Um, here, read along. I'm in the NIV. Now, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond, my, beyond many Jews of my own age. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother, I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Later I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. Friends, let's pray real quick, and then we'll dive into this passage. Heavenly Father, you know my heart. You know my slipperiness, and you know our brothers and sisters here. Lord, give us hearts that are tender. Take away the rock and put in flesh. Give us hearts that love you and beat for you, and let us be molded by your passage, by your word. Speak through me, and let me forget myself in this moment. In your name I pray. Amen. So what's going on in the book of Galatians? What's the letter all about? All right. When Paul was, I'll just give you a little bit of historical background. When Paul was uh, a new Christian, he went through um, much of Asia and into Europe, East Asia, West Asia, and into Europe, preaching the gospel. And the churches of Galatia, the cities there, they received him, and they received him well, and they loved him. They loved him very well, and um, they believed him, and they received the gospel. And received life from him. But uh, he's gone now, <laughs> hence the letter. And he um, has heard the reports that they've fallen away. They've fallen away. And, and just reading through like the things that he says about them clearly reveals that this is a church um, kind of, of people pleasers. All right? This is from 1 verse 6. I'm astonished that you so quickly are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then what? 3.1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And this is like the kicker for me, 4.15 to 16. What then has become of your blessedness? 
For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me, which is classic people pleaser move. Um, have I, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose, they want to shut you out that you may make much of them. And then finally from 5-7, you were running so well, what hindered you from obeying the truth? What happened, guys? What happened? Well, I can tell Paul. Someone cool showed up. Someone new showed up. And he said, hey, do you guys feel like rotten Christians all the time? Do you just want to get better? Do you want to be better? You want to be more like me? Here's what you got to do. Eat less bacon. Enjoy the right festivals. Dress the right way. And dudes, just man up and get circumcised. And then you will experience the richness of Christianity. You guys ever want to experience the richness of Christianity? You ever want Jesus to look at you and say, that's my man right there, Keith Robinson, he's the man. You ever, like, you ever want that? I do. Oh, I'm crazy about it. I also want Luther to think that too, but, you know, that's, that's part of this battle. It's part of this struggle, right? This new teacher, he's saying, I've got the words that you need to hear. And guess what? He was a courageous man. Any man who calls other grown men to get circumcised is a courageous man, right? He was a strong man. He's a, he's a smart man. Whoever this teacher is, he's calling them, and they're like, we're going to follow this guy. And Paul's like, what? What? Right? It's a church of people pleasers. Church of people pleasers. I would fit right in. So what is the hope for this church of people pleasers? What does, what does Paul do? He's going to do three things. And we're going to talk about it very quickly. First off, he's going to give them his testimony. He's going to reveal to them he's also a people pleaser. He's going to put himself right in their shoes. And you'll see how he does that. Then, he's going to remind them the truth. The truth that sets them free. The truth that matters. And finally, he's going to remind them how they receive that truth. So those are the three things we're going to look at. All right? Paul, the chief of people pleasers. So, in verses 10 and following, am I now trying to win the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. If I were still trying to please man. Paul says it right there, right? I was. I was a people pleaser. And if I were still trying to please him, I, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ, right? That word still in the Greek, it's translated um, referring to a past time when something was true, right? Saying I was. I was. And what happened to him? Well, if you look through his, his record, it's, like no, it's no surprise. I mean, this is verses 13 and 14. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Right? I intensely persecuted. Now you may think, well, Sam, he persecuted the church. That doesn't sound like people-pleasing. And to a certain extent, you're right. But um, 
when he's persecuting the church, he's living up to his teachers and his leaders. He's following them. He's saying, hey, guys, look at me. Hey, teachers and culture of Judaism, look at me. I'm your man. And that word for intensely, it's hyperbole, which is what we get hyperbole from, right? And it's literally to throw above. I was the cut above. I was the man. I did it well. I crushed it. If there was a man for the job for persecuting the church of God, it's Paul. He was the man, right? And then as far as teaching and his his life in, in school and in the city, he excelled in every way. He was the great um, the great Jew. He was the great Pharisee. He was the man. You ever, you ever just want to be the man for the job? Paul knows what it's like, because he was. And he did it, and he accomplished it. And in a beautiful way, what he's saying right now is, I've been there. I've done that, Galatians. Don't go there. Don't do it. Right? I mean, just think about what the Galatians are accepting on, their, on themselves. They're accepting what this teacher is saying as far as like the food laws, the cultural Jewish um, symbols. That's what they're going to pursue. That's what they're chasing after. And Paul says, when it comes to that stuff, I was the man. I was the people pleaser of people pleasers. Listen to me. Listen to me. Don't go there. You ever have a son or daughter or a sibling or a friend um, or someone you're mentoring heading down a track that you once headed down? You see them making the same mistakes? You see them doing the same things? And you just want to be like, stop! No, don't go there! Don't go there. There's only death and folly there. That's what Paul's doing right here. This is the first thing that he does. He says, don't, I've been there. Now, his, I've been there, I've done that, it's not about him saying, hey, look at me, I'm the great teacher. I'm, uh, I've got all the street cred. I've tried every route. This is the only route that has life. That's not what he's saying. He's getting really vulnerable with the Galatians. He's getting really vulnerable with them. He's saying, this is what I did. This is what I did. Now, friends, this is, this is my first, the first hope for uh, the people pleaser is that you're in a church. You're in a church of people pleasers, friends. You've got brothers and sisters who see you. And this is why I'm telling you all this. So now you know, right? When I do this, you can say, Sam, don't. Don't do that. Don't do that. Now, Paul doesn't beat it over the head. He's not cruel about it. Notice how he does it. He shares his own story with them. He shares his own life. He says, I know because I was there. I was that man. And it destroyed me. I was destroying the church of God, the very God I, chose, I, I swore to uphold. I was destroying his people. Right? And, and here's my point, friends. There are going to be a lot of times when you need to call someone out. And you can do it just by saying, Noah, stop it. John, stop it. You know, you can do that. We'll not bring any relationship in. We'll not bring you closer to, your, to the one you're calling out. But if you get vulnerable, and if you actually share what happened to you, and you enter into that race, relationship with them, they're going to listen. Now, they may not change their ways because we're fools, but 
they'll listen and relationship will be built. I remember my dad, when he was talking to me about porn, he said, Sam, this is what happened to me. This is what became of my life. This is what I was pursuing. This is what I was looking for. This is how it destroyed me, right? And I heard that, and I heard my dad being vulnerable with me, and I heard my man, the guy who I respected more than anything, say, not just stop that, but I get it. I get it. I've been there. I know. I'm stepping in. When you correct, correct vulnerably, correct lovingly. I don't want to make one point all about be like Paul, but this, he, just, he just nails this, right? He knows your weakness because he was there. And he picks this up from Christ who knew his weakness, knew that he was tempted in any way yet without sin. We're in a church of people pleasers. Some of, it, some of it's extreme, some of it's not. We can call each other out, but do it lovingly, do it vulnerably, and do it in a way that the other person knows that you care. That's what Peter, Paul does here, and it is beautiful. It is beautiful. All right. Paul doesn't just say, I'm going to call you out vulnerably. He moves on, right? He moves on to the truth of change, the power of change, the reason why it's even worth calling somebody out. All right. I want you to know, brothers, this is verse 11, the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And then 15 and following. But when God, who, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to, the, to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. What an interesting place to put your primary emphasis. <laughs> Here's my itinerary. I'm not lying. <laughs> you know, it's because it matters. It's because it matters so much. Paul is saying, guys, I'm not pulling the wool over your eyes. Like that, like that other teacher is. I'm not giving you false hope, even though you feel the yuck and you feel your frustration. This is not truth I made up. And his testimony helps him in there. He says, I couldn't have. Look, look at the direction I was running. I was pleasing everybody but God. Every one of my contemporaries. I was after them. I was in love with them. I was excelling. I was the man. I didn't think this up on my own. And then he says, and I didn't even get it from, I didn't even get it from the church fathers. <laughs> I didn't go to the pastors, to the apostles, except for, for 15 days. And I just found out that we are teaching the same thing, which is what he claims a little later. Paul's saying, this is the truth, the true truth. What is that truth? It's the gospel, friends. And Greg preached on it not long ago. It's Galatians 1, verses 3 and 4. Grace and peace to you from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. It's the gospel. It's the good news of the gospel that says, hey, people pleaser, I'm fixing you. I've got you. 
Your Father in heaven loves you. And He's drawing you into Himself. And Paul's saying, I got it from no man. I'm not trying to pull a fast one on you. I love you. And your Father loves you. This is so important, friends, particularly in a time, an era that we live in. Everyone's trying to manipulate you. Everyone's trying to sell you something. Right? Everybody's saying, who? How can, I, how can I get you guys today? How can I pull the wool over your eyes? Here, come buy this car. Come buy this, this backpack. It brings you life. Right? Other people are saying, hey, come vote for me. Look what I'll give you. Right? I mean, we, our media even calls one another fake news. And then they say that they're fake about what they had. You know, like, there's no end to the, to the deceitfulness of our culture, to the manipulation of our culture. There's no end to the manipulation in me as a people pleaser. I make my living off manipulating you. That's not totally true. It's something I do. Right? Oh, in a world filled with wolves and sheep's clothing, can we just get someone who's going to say, here's the truth. And that's exactly what Paul does. He says, no man gave this to me, friends. No man gave this to me. Now, guys, this is even like in, in um, current biblical studies, everyone's saying Paul didn't write this, you know. They didn't mean this. He made this up. He didn't, he didn't get it from Jesus. There's no way he did. Right? And, and here's Peter in um, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 and following. He says, uh, And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. What are these things? We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not made up. It's not fake. We're not just doing this so you give us your tithe money. This is the truth. This is the good news. And the good news is that Christ is real and he came into this world to die for your sins and to die for your people-pleasing rotten heart, just like mine. And give us a new heart. Now it's so hard, friends, because times get tough. Right? I just, I'm dying. I'm dying to have redemption. I'm dying to be free from my people-pleasing nonsense. I hate it when Greg says, you don't need anybody else to validate you. And I want to say, shut up! <laughs> you know, and I don't, like, I don't say it, though. I love you. <laughs> um, like, you know, like, like I hate that. Right? So if I were sitting there listening to me, um, I would say, Sam, that's great. You give me the truth of the gospel. I get that all the time. I'm a bit more memorial. This is what we do, and this is what we do well, if anything. But I'm still broken. I'm still sick of it. I still have friends who are so far gone that aren't coming back. I know. I know because it's me. Right? I know because it's me. And this gets us to our final point, friends. It's the most important point. Look with me in Galatians 14 and 15. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age, 
and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. Everything changed for Paul. Everything changed. Guys, the good news of the gospel is not alone that Jesus Christ dies for your sins. All right? Because a lot of people hear that all of the time and it means nothing to them. The the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is going to enter into your heart and he's going to reveal that truth to you. He's got it. The onus is on his back. He's coming to you. He's ripping off the scales. He's saying, hey, look at me. I'm intruding into your life. You cannot deny this anymore. I'm revealing this to you. It's what Jenny Whitman just read, you know? Jesus says, I'm so thankful that you revealed this. You're not going to find it. You can look and look and look and look. You'll never find it. A lot of biblical authors and biblical studies, not authors, biblical um, studies guys, they read the same book and they are unmoved. Some of them think that Jesus is pretty cool. But that's about it, right? Your hope is that God comes and he rips off the scales over your eyes. Opens your eyes to himself. Opens your eyes to his truth. And all of a sudden your heart changes because you could look at it and say, oh, you know, great. But he's going to rip your heart out and change it and give you a new one that says, oh my, this changes everything. This changes everything. When is it going to happen, Sam? Hang on. Hang on. When are all the problems going to be fixed? They, when Christ returns, they will. But you can trust him now because this is the truth. And you can swim and fight in this, in this battle because God is real. And this truth is real and Christ gave it to Paul. And it changed his life. That's the beauty of the gospel, friends. It's not just that it's good news. It's that it's good news that God applies to your heart. He cares about you. and He's going to make it true in you. And we just got to hold on. Well, he actually holds on to us. So, friends, this is not a sermon about how I experienced victory over people-pleasing. That's not what this is. Because I'm still a people-pleaser. And I'm going to get off of this pulpit. And this is what really sucks. Um, I'm going to get off this pulpit and feel like, oh my gosh, Sam, you did a horrible job, regardless of what you say, although please compliment me if, if you feel it so led. Um, uh, but I, I'll, get, I'll just be like, oh, that sucked. People were yawning. People were falling asleep. People didn't get it. Ah, you're terrible, right? <laughs> That's what's going to happen to me. And you're going to walk out of here and you're going to have the same struggles you walked in here with. But Christ is real. And he's changing, and he's working, and he's working in you so that when you see him face to face, his promise is that you will be changed in an instant, just like Paul was. And you will see him face to face, and you will know him because you will be like him. Hang on, brothers. Hang on with the fight. Hang on. 
There's victory now and there's victory to come. And we'll experience it in small ways. Here's the last thing, and it's so beautiful. First off, Paul's talking to a bunch of Galatians just like he would talk to me about being a people pleaser. And throughout this entire text, the whole letter, he uses the word brother and sister an obnoxious amount of times, <laughs> right? He's constantly saying, hey, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers. And you're like, jeez, Paul, you know, you could kill your word count. <laughs> you know, just cut out a couple of these brothers and sisters. No, the point is, as rotten sinners, as people who followed this new teacher, Paul doesn't say you've walked out of the kingdom. He looks at you and calls you his brother and sister in Christ. You've not, you've not let go of Christ's clothing. He can't lose you. He won't lose you. He loves you too much, and Paul knows it. And that's why Paul rebukes them. That's why Paul cares. And that's why Paul reminds them of the truth that they are in. Live into who you actually are. That's what Paul's saying. This is who you really are. You're a son and daughter of the king. And Christ is going to make you that one day. And you'll fully experience it. But hold on till then. Brothers and sisters, that's what he calls you. Well, you're in bad company because Paul's no, <laughs> Paul's no saint. And neither are, well, he, he is actually. But you know, like, neither, neither are we. But Christ comes and makes his home with you. He loves you. And he's crazy about you. And he sees the pain. He sees your heart breaking for those who have not heard, who are, who are off serving their own gods, pleasing their own men. And he's saying, hey, I'm the God who acts. You know, if you have kids that you're worried about, you have friends that you're worried about, Jesus is saying, I'm the truth. And the truth reveals himself. And when he does, there's no turning back. There's no turning back for you either, friends. And that's the good news. He's got you. He'll never lose you. And he will put to death the people-pleasing nonsense in your heart, just like he will in mine. And when he does, friends, I can't wait. Because I'll be able to look at you and actually love you. And you'll be able to look at me and actually love me. And we'll be caught up in the pleasure of God. His greatness. We're go- that's where we're heading. God does this all out of his own good pleasure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you are not pulling the wool over our eyes. That you are the Christ who came down who died for our sins so that we don't have to be in them anymore. That you freed us. And even though we still wallow in in sin, you come and you're making us new. And you make all things new. Lord, hasten on that day. We love you and we thank you. In your name I pray. Amen.